Yeah, maybe I'll do that. We've been reading our way through the book of Colossians, which, as most of you know by now, is the Apostle Paul's letter to the Christians living in Colossae, a church that he never had the opportunity to meet, but a church he certainly was familiar with by reputation. The Colossians had received the gospel with great joy. The church definitely got planted, definitely got started, definitely took root in Colossae. But they discovered, as, as really we all do, that it's one thing to receive the gospel, it's another thing to continue. It gets hard to grow up. And so Paul was writing to them this letter about the many things that they would need to know, the encouragements they would need as they continued to grow up in their faith. Now, the opening letters, the opening paragraphs, rather, of the letter we've read over the last six weeks or so, very, very encouraging. Reminders of the power and the supremacy of Jesus. Reminders of the timeless and global nature of the gospel. Reminders of Christ about how everyone who believes is included. Last week we said all of Jesus' power is available to all of Jesus' people. These are strong, encouraging words from Paul, but there's kind of an elephant in the room. And the Colossians know it. Do we remember where Paul is as he's writing these words? He's in jail. And so there's kind of a disconnect, isn't there? It's like, okay, it's great to read about the power and the authority and the su supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus, but dude, your sorry behind is in a jail. Like, how does that work? And it's not just Paul. The Colossians would have known that at the time this letter has been written, uh, James, the disciple, has already been executed for, for his faith. Stephen has been executed for his faith. Peter and John have been imprisoned and beaten. Most of the original disciples have gone through great suffering. The early leaders of this Christian movement are all suffering for their faith. So Paul, how are you going to tell me about the power and the sufficiency and the joy and the authority and all of these things about Jesus when you guys are all getting your tails whooped all the time? Do we see the disconnect there? How are we going to deal with that? Well, Paul is never afraid to deal with the reality. How can we talk about the power of Jesus when the reality of suffering is so obvious? Here's what Paul has to say, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. I am glad. <laughs> I'm glad, really? I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now, now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing in his glory. So we tell others. We tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. 
Pray, Lord, that just as we discuss, as we talk about it, as we consider these words that are written from Paul to a, a different group of Christians, God, that we would receive what your spirit is saying to us today. Open our ears, we ask in Jesus' name. Paul is here acknowledging the suffering, and he really digs into the role that it plays in his life. Now, we usually think of pain and suffering as an indication that something is going wrong. Think of physical pain. If we hurt, it's because something is going wrong. Pain is an indicator that something bad is happening. But I would submit to you that even physical pain can also be an indication that something is going right. Think about, for instance, growing pains in adolescence. We ache and we hurt. How many of us remember teenage years when our legs just were sore because we were growing so quickly? That wasn't an indication that something bad was happening. It was an indication that the right thing was happening. And it seems to me that this is how Paul sees the suffering that he and and other believers are going through. It's not an indication that something is wrong. It's an essential part of the process. I believe that we begin here. Paul wants the Colossians to understand that growing up involves suffering. Growing up involves suffering. I just noticed Liam Maglio is here today for his very first service at HRCC. Uh, Vanessa, cover his ears because we don't want him to know this yet. Growing up involves suffering. Okay, He he didn't hear that, did he? Is he asleep? He's asleep? Okay, he's allowed to sleep. Nobody else today. Maybe a Nori. Growing up involves suffering. How many of us remember the first time our heart was broken? Think back to grade school or, or maybe junior high. Do you remember how little, little Susie and her pigtails and how pretty she was? And then one day you walked into the cafeteria and there she was sharing her snack pack with some other boy. And your heart was broken. Your heart was broken. Do we remember the pain of that very first broken heart? And what did we all say? This is terrible. This is awful. We all said it. I will never love again. I will never love again because it felt so big and it felt so overwhelming. How many of us could also testify to the fact that the pain of a broken heart only got bigger as life went along? I mean, what felt so big when we were 10 years old? What felt so big when we were 12 or 13 years old pales in comparison to the pain of a broken engagement or of a failed marriage. The pain only gets bigger as we grow up because I think in a sense, what we have to lose only gets bigger as we grow up. The older we get, the more it might hurt. The more we have to lose, it might leave us. How many of us have thought later in life, boy, I wish my heart was broken over little Susie and her snack packs again. Like, I wish it was that simple. It didn't feel simple back then. But now, knowing what I know, having grown up, I wish it really was that simple. Most of us understand through our own experiences that certain types of suffering, as as unpleasant as they might be, they're just part of the reality of growing up. It's the same way with our faith. Suffering is a very real part of the process. And anyone who says otherwise isn't being faithful to the words of Scripture. I need you to hear that. Anybody who tells you that suffering is not part of the process is not being faithful to the words of Scripture. 
Friday, as, as I was preparing literally this part of my message, I was working on this part of my sermon, Sue brought the mail in, and I noticed a handwritten envelope that, that looked odd. It was addressed to us from another home in our neighborhood. Not a neighbor I know, but just another home that I recognized from being in our neighborhood. We happened to be taking the mail in for some neighbors who are out of town, and in the stack she had for them was the very same letter from the very same address. And I thought, that's weird. So I took it. I said, I want to read this. I opened it up and there was a letter in it. And the beginning of the letter said, have you ever wondered about the promises of the Bible? And I thought, well, yes, actually, I have to talk about a few of them on Sunday. So I'm going to read the rest of this letter. And the letter went on. I wrote this down. I want to make sure I get it right. It said, we need to work toward a future where we can all experience, because of the promises of the Bible, we need to work towards a future where we can all experience perfect health, world peace, perfect safety, and security for all the elimination of human suffering. That sounds nice. I want to go to that church. But here's the thing. I said immediately, well, that, that's not how I understand the Bible. That doesn't sound right at all. And then I kind of read through, actually reread the letter, and I recognized uh, it was from the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, parenthetically, uh, today's sermon is not about the Jehovah's Witnesses, but just so we're clear on this, a lot of people think the Jehovah's Witnesses is a certain type of Christianity. Let me be very clear, it is not. It is not. The Jehovah's Witnesses is an entirely different religion built on mistruths and misquoting of the Christian scripture. It is not Christianity at all. And okay, well, that makes sense. Now I understand why they're talking about all these things that the Bible promises. I've read it to cover to cover, and I don't think that's what it says at all. The Bible is clear about the fact that growing up involves suffering. Let me repeat something I said a minute ago. Suffering is a part of the process. Anyone who says otherwise isn't being faithful to the words of scripture. Growing up involves suffering. And here's why. We suffer for each other. We suffer for each other. It's part of the process. Those physical growing pains of adolescence. I can remember being a teenager and just waking up in the morning and, and the muscles in my legs were hurting. And trust me, it wasn't because I had been at the gym all day <laughs> the day before. You just wake up and the muscles in my legs were hurting because the bones in my legs were growing at a, at a greater rate than they had ever grown before. And those muscles were being stretched two different parts of the body, but they were connected, right? Bones and muscles connected. Ladies, am I right about that? Okay, I'm good here. Okay, great. Bones and muscles connected. Those bones are growing. Those muscles are getting stretched and they, I would wake up and they would hurt. There's a connectedness in our bodies that often causes one part to ache because of what is taking place in another part. And the Bible tells us that's how it works in the body of Christ. Paul actually wrote about it in a different letter. He said, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. But I think Paul has more than just empathy in mind here. He's not saying, oh, if somebody's having a rough day, then we say, oh, I just, I really feel for that person. Empathy is a good thing. It's certainly part of the Christian experience, but I just don't think that that's what Paul is talking about here. And it's because he writes it this way in verse 24. He says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. I suffer for you in my body. He doesn't say, I suffer with you. He doesn't say, Susie, I can tell you're having a rough day and I just want you to know I feel the pain, babe. 
feel your pain. Is that what he's saying? He's saying, I'm glad when I suffer for you. We suffer for one another. In Christ, something is gained when we suffer for each other. There's a gladness in it. We certainly have had enough new babies in this community in recent months to think of the application here from labor pains in a delivery room. Think of that mother as she's about to deliver. She is suffering in her body. I'm hearing a few amens in the room. As the baby is born, she is suffering in her body, but it's not out of empathy. She's not suffering because she feels badly for the baby, right? This is not empathetic suffering. She is not sharing in her baby's burden. She is suffering because that is part of the process. She is suffering for the life of that child because that is part of the process by which that child knows life. But there's a joy in her suffering because something she longs for is being gained. Jesus spoke metaphorically about the birth pains that the world goes through, the birth pains that we know in this age and how they are a signal that the kingdom of God is drawing closer. And Paul reminds us that the proclamation of the gospel and the suffering that goes along with it is a perfect example of what Jesus was talking about. We suffer, but our suffering is for those that are being born into a brand new kingdom. And when we suffer like that, we're never alone. We suffer alongside Jesus. Do you know that Jesus knew what it is to suffer? Isaiah chapter 53, just one verse or one chapter among many in the Old Testament that would prophesy about the suffering nature of the Messiah. Verse 3 says he was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Paul would go on and identify after the time of Jesus his own sufferings with those of Jesus. Verse 24 again, he said, I am participating in the sufferings of Christ. I am participating in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Now, I think when we think about the suffering that Jesus endured, our first thought goes to the cross. It's like, I've seen Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. I know that he suffered on the cross, right? But I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here. Again, I think we need to think a little bit longer to really grab hold of what Paul is actually talking about. He says, I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body. Another translation of that verse puts it this way. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's sufferings. Paul's talking about a suffering that Jesus experienced that is ongoing. Something that wasn't made complete in in the life of Jesus. And I can tell you this, Paul knew fully well that nothing is lacking in the suffering that Jesus went through on the cross. His suffering on the cross is not still going on. It doesn't continue. It is complete. It's absolutely finished. What were his final words there on the cross? It is finished. Okay, it's done. We don't need to continue paying the price for sin. Amen? That's over. So Paul is talking about participating in the sufferings of Jesus that continue. He's not talking about the cross. That's done. That's over. But let's not forget that Jesus lived a life prior to the cross. 
And prior to the cross, Jesus's life was often marked by suffering. He referred to himself as homeless, just like the video we saw a few moments ago. He grieved the lack of support that he got from his family. He lost friends because of some of the tough things that he said related to the gospel. He was rejected by many. He received death threats. The suffering that Jesus endured was the cost of kingdom ministry. And that ministry goes on. You and I, as followers of Jesus, we are called to the same kind of ministry for the same kingdom. And I think as a matter of logic, it must be then that we are called to the same kind of suffering. But we don't go alone. Do you remember the very last thing Jesus said to his followers as he was commissioning them to do this kingdom work? He said, surely I am with you always, always. And for those who thought maybe that applied only to the few that were gathered with him right at that moment, he said, no, 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 even to the end of the age. Anybody here living in the end of the age? It must be us. Surely I am with you, Andrew, always, as you do the work of the kingdom. Surely I am with you, Glenn, as you do the work of the kingdom, always. You're not going to suffer alone. Jesus is suffering alongside Follower of Jesus, I want you to hear this today. Kingdom work is hard. Kingdom work is hard. If you do it right, you run the risk of suffering. You run the risk of losing your possessions, just like Jesus did. Kingdom work might cost you the support of your family. It did for Jesus. You might lose friends over it or your reputation. Jesus certainly did. You are choosing to follow in the footsteps of a man of sorrows. You are choosing to participate in his suffering. Is this the best marketing plan you've ever heard in your life? I don't think so. But you know what? Doing so faithfully means you're never alone. Will we suffer? Yes, we will suffer. But we suffer alongside the one who has overcome it all. We suffer alongside Jesus. And church, because of that, we can suffer in confidence. We suffer alongside Jesus, but we suffer in confidence. You know what Jesus did? When we think about the life of Christ, there's there's just some very straightforward, simple things that I think are, are good anchor points for us as we read through the Gospels, as we read through the life of Jesus. One of the most important things that we need to bear in mind is that Jesus showed us how to live as God intends. Jesus showed us how to live as God intends. He demonstrated for us the ideal human life. Sometimes we're prone to think that Jesus was somehow less human than you and I are. You hear this in the way we talk sometimes. We say, well, of course Jesus did it that way. I mean, after all, he was, he was Jesus. I could never do it that way because I'm, say it with me, only human, right? I'm only, Jesus did it that way, but he was Jesus. I'm only human. Man, our theology is all twisted around when we think that. Jesus wasn't less human than you and I are. He was fully human. We sometimes say he was truly human. And what was his classic call to his 
fellow humans. Follow me. Follow me. In other words, come along right behind me. Do what you see me doing. Go where you see me going. Think like you see me thinking. Live like you see me living. When we have missionaries visit us on Sunday mornings, like we had the Lucases last week, typically I'll take them out to lunch after service. We sit down and just reconnect and um, we like to have lunch together. Sue and I will take them most often right over here to Stevens. I love Stevens. I love, love me some Stevens, right? So we'll take the missionaries over to Stevens. How easy is it to get over to Stevens? I'll tell them uh, during service. We used to do it this way. I used to just tell them, hey, we're going to go to Stevens. It's really easy. You take a right out of our parking lot, take a right on Jane's, and you're going to drive straight across 63rd. You're in their parking lot. I would tell them that all the time, and usually it worked. A few times, though, I'd lose a missionary. <laughs> <laughs> I'd lose a missionary. One time I found one kind of wandering around in front of the Target over there, like just looking for the restaurant. And that's not good. There's nothing good to eat at Target, not like there is at Stevens. And no, I'm not being paid by Stevens Family Restaurant in Woodridge, Illinois. <laughs> for any portion of this, this service, I'm, I'm not being paid. Um, so I, I realized that it was kind of foolish to just tell them where to go and, and then head over there myself and assume that we'd meet. It's much smarter, even though the journey seems simple to me, it's much smarter to say, let's go to Stevens together. And so now I'll tell them we're going to Stevens. I give them directions if they're not familiar with where it is, but I meet them in the parking lot. We don't always go, or we don't go in the same car, but I'll still say I'm, I'm in the green Toyota Highlander. You know, I wait for them. And when I see them come out, we pull right out of the parking lot together. I look in my rearview mirror. I make sure that they follow me all the way over there. It works better that way. And it works better that way because if we stay together, they will go where I'm going and we can all be confident that they will end up where I end up. When it comes to suffering in the Christian life, Paul says that very same principle is in play. Verse 27, he says, Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing in his glory. This gives you the assurance that you were looking for that you will end up where he ended up. But you gotta stick with him if you want that assurance. Too many people, I find, are under the misconception that Jesus had a rough life so that you and I wouldn't have to have a rough life. Let me say that again. Too many people are under the misconception that Jesus had a rough life so that you and I wouldn't have to have a rough life. Christianity gets marketed that way. It gets marketed as the key to wealth, the key to peace, the key to success, and the key to happiness. You know what I say to that? No. No. I want to suffer like Jesus suffered. And not because I have a death wish, and not because there's some sort of masochistic impulse in, in who I am, but because I want to end up where he ended up, right? The hope of glory is what Paul is saying. Christ is in you. You are with him. And that is why you can have the assurance, the confidence of the glory. I want to suffer like Jesus suffered because I want to end up like he ended up. I'm headed for the same kingdom. So I want to follow as closely as I can in the one in the footsteps of the one who got there first and opened the doors. 
And as I go along, if I discover myself suffering just as he suffered, I'm not discouraged. I'm encouraged because I know that must mean that I'm on the right track. We suffer in confidence and we want to stay on track. There's a goal in all of this. There's a destination in mind. No pain that we experience for the gospel is meaningless because in Christ, we suffer with purpose. Many religions and philosophies throughout the world have theories about the purpose behind suffering. If if you're going to invent or create a philosophy, uh, you better be able to address suffering because anybody who ever has lived knows that suffering is a real thing. So what's the meaning behind it? What's the purpose of pain? And we hear all kinds of things in our culture. Uh, pain sometimes is presented as a way of, of paying a divine price for our shortcomings and for our failures. It's a, it's a punishment. Uh, pain is presented sometimes as a way of, of cleansing us of all our impurities so that our spirits can be clean. Uh, Pain is presented sometimes as a way, uh, a means of strengthening us for a greater life. We hear this, uh, all the, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? It's, it's, pain is just life's way of making you tough enough to succeed. And and to all of these, we could probably go on and and lengthen the list, but to all of these, we who are in Christ say, poppycock, You can write a different word if you want on your notes. Just don't let anybody see it. This is ridiculous. This is not what the word of God says. This is wrong. Because all of those explanations are focused on what I get out of my suffering. They're all missing the point of what the Bible says. In this passage, Paul has made it clear that his suffering has nothing to do with him. It's on behalf of the people he is introducing to the kingdom of God. He says, we want to present them to God. And that's why I work and I struggle so hard. That's why I suffer so much. The purpose of our suffering is not about ourselves. It's about the people we serve. HRCC, you, you are why, you are why I work and I struggle so hard. You're the reason. I'm not trying to earn my way into heaven. I'm not trying to cleanse my soul of all impurities. I'm not trying to be a better me or anything else that the world might throw at you. It's, it's you. You're the reason. I'm looking forward to the day when I stand in front of my Savior and I present you to him. I can't wait for that moment. I can't wait for that moment. You are my inheritance. You are my master's treasure and I get the privilege of returning you to him. And that privilege is not reserved for pastors only. It's not because I have a a card in my wallet that says I'm ordained and I don't have to pay the same taxes, right? It's not for ministers only, it's for all. What did we say last week? All of Jesus' power, for all of Jesus' people. And so 
The Bible doesn't give us the details on what precisely that moment is going to look like, but I can tell you how I imagine it. I imagine this moment in the next stage where the father says, and, and, and what, about, what about that people in Downers Grove? What about that community that I formed and shaped together by my spirit? Are they here? Like he's taking the role, right? And I get to raise my hand and say, yes, Lord, everyone, everyone. And then I think maybe there's some moments where the father, he says, well, let's go down the road. Let, let's look at that. Let's look at that. Who, who's here? Who's here? Is, is Woody Edwards here? And I get to say, yeah, Woody's here. We struggled for Woody. Some of you guys get to stand up and say, yeah, I struggled for Woody. I prayed for Woody. I supported Woody. I encouraged Woody. Lord, he's here. He's here. And, and, and the father says, well, what about Scott Taylor? Did Scott, is Scott present? Is there a Scott Taylor in the house today? And, and I get to stand up and say, yeah, we, we brought Scott with. <laughs> we, we worked for Scott. And Pastor Joe will stand up and say, oh, I kind of had a hand in that too. Scott's mom, Linda, is going to be like present. You know, Brian Powell is going to stand up and he's going to say, yeah, I poured into that little boy. I poured into that little boy. He's here, Lord. I, I struggled for him. I struggled for him. He's here. Father's going to go down the roster. He's going to call the names. It's the book of life. So every name, the answer is going to be yes, right? There's not going to be any mistakes in that book. But he's going to go down and he's going to call name after name. And we're going to, yep, yep, we worked hard for that one. We worked hard for that one. He's going to get down to the M's. He's going to say, Martinson, Daniel. And y'all are going to say, Lord, we struggled for that one. <laughs> Some Sunday mornings, we really struggled for that one. We really struggled for that one. He's going to say, Kelly Greco, here's, a, here's an extra crown for you. <laughs> Can you picture that moment? Can you picture that moment? That's why we struggle so hard. It's for a purpose. It's for a purpose. There's work being done here. There's work being done. The suffering is with purpose. Yeah, it's part of the life, but it's not something that we avoid. It's not something that we run away from. It's not something that we try to miss out on. Oh, no, 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 no. On the contrary, it's for a reason. It's for a reason. So Paul, why are you in jail? Why are you writing to us about the glory of the power and the majesty and the supremacy of Jesus? And meanwhile, you're chained to some dude with a sword. Like, how's that work? And Paul says, this is what it's supposed to look like. We, we, we are doing something greater here than anyone could ever imagine or ever know. And yeah, it's hard work. And yeah, the, the more we grow up, the more we realize how much we have to lose. Sometimes the suffering gets deeper. Sometimes the challenges are greater. Sometimes the cost is higher. But oh, the reward. Oh, the reward. Oh, the reward. And so, yeah, I can sit down and I can, I can write to you about the joy of serving Christ. I can write to you about the insurpassable power 
in the name of Jesus. And it might look like I am wasting away in jail, but it makes sense to me. It makes sense to you. It makes sense to all of us because we see a kingdom that is already, but not quite yet. As we close today, I want you to close your Bibles if you have a moment. Close your app if you have that open. Because I'm going to transition here. I just want to give you two thoughts. And they aren't really from the text, but there's two things that occurred to me as I prayed over and meditated and thought about these words today. And I just kind of want to share them with you, submit them to you for your consideration. The two thoughts are these. The first one, kind of a cautionary note. Can we just acknowledge that not all suffering is suffering for Jesus? (laughs) Not everything that causes us pain in this life is righteous suffering for the case of Christ and the cause of the kingdom. So don't take the words that we've read today. Don't take anything I've said today as permission to just dig in and alienate everybody you ever met. Make a martyr all out of yourself and say, oh, it's just all for the kingdom. Sometimes, most of the time, our suffering has more to do with our own foolishness than anything else. And let's not give the Lord credit for that. I think before we talk about the importance of suffering in the kingdom and suffering for the kingdom, we need to do the the hard work of really carefully discerning the source of our suffering. I talked today about how pain is sometimes an indication that things are going right. (laughs) But let's not major on the minors here. Most of the time, pain is an indication that something's going wrong. And so we need to be wise to know the difference. And I think... We probably can all picture that Christian who is just going through the world lobbing grenades, making a big stink about everything and saying, but I'm doing it for Jesus. And sometimes I get the sense that the Holy Spirit's going, let's not be that guy. Not all suffering is suffering for Jesus. Sometimes it's just suffering. Here's my second thought. We live in a culture that places an incredibly high value on the avoidance of suffering, especially avoiding any kind of personal suffering. Think about all the things in our world that are set up and made, uh, designed systems that are just designed for me to take advantage of so I don't have to feel pain. That's kind of the reality of the world that we live in, isn't it? And one result of this that I've noticed is the emphasis that we tend to play on this um, ideal or this value of self-defense. This rule that says I'm allowed to do whatever I want as long as I'm protecting myself from pain or suffering. It's a word that gets tossed around an awful lot. We excuse a lot of behavior if it can be framed as something that was necessary in order to avoid personal suffering. And too often, I think that principle gets communicated as some sort of godly Christian quality. And I think we need to do some rethinking about that. Now, I am certainly in favor of protecting myself and the people I love and care for from suffering. 
I am absolutely in, in favor of that. Don't come at me. Don't come at my kids. Don't come at my wife. Right? I'm in favor of that. But I also need to bear in mind that as a Christian, I have chosen to follow in the footsteps of a man who was led like a lamb to the slaughter and did not utter a word. I have to remember that central to his ethic was the idea that when I get struck, I turn the other cheek. I have to make sure that that is the starting point in what I decide to do, rather than, well, I have to protect myself because suffering is bad. Sounds like there's some suffering going on down the hall, doesn't there? (laughs) Let me put it this way. Maybe we need to be thoughtful. Maybe we need to be more thoughtful about the fact that it is not our job to avoid suffering. It's our job to learn how to respond to suffering like Jesus did. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you that as, as we wove through these first five or six weeks in the letter of Colossians and, and this, this elephant just kind of loomed in the room, the 2,000 pound gorilla of pain and suffering loomed there. Lord, that you by the supreme knowledge of your spirit would not ignore what we all knew. We all saw it. Everybody in this room has experienced pain and suffering. And some of the folks in this room who have followed Jesus the longest have experienced the most pain and suffering. And so we weren't going to hold on too long and buy this idea that that following Jesus delivers us from all suffering. You wouldn't let us do that, Father. Spirit, you weren't going to give us your word without quickly and completely and fully and adequately addressing the problem with pain. And part of that address we hear today is that maybe not everything we thought was a problem actually is a problem. And so I pray that you would rebirth in our hearts and in our spirits the willingness to follow in the steps of our Savior. We want to be known as a people where your joy is evident. We do. We don't want to be a morose church. We don't want the community of Downers Grove to see, well, that people, that group, boy, later. But we also don't want to walk anywhere other than where Jesus is walking. So where the world is sometimes constructed to show us how to avoid suffering, Lord, would you help us instead to find godly ways of knowing how to respond to suffering? Lord, would you teach us how to suffer for one another as we suffer alongside Jesus in confidence? and for the purposes that you've laid before us. Father, for those that are feeling pain today, for those that know affliction, for those that have lost much, Father, we pray for their comfort. We pray for their deliverance. We pray that they would see 
the victory that you have in store for them. But we would not, we would not be faithful to the word if we just said, Lord, keep me away from that. Oh, I want nothing to do with it. God, teach us how to suffer. If your plan, if your will, if your gospel requires that we sit in chains, either literal or metaphorical, Father, give us the endurance. Give us the strength. Find us faithful in even that calling. We submit ourselves to you for that purpose. In the strong and mighty name of our suffering servant Messiah, we pray it today. It's in Jesus' name that we say, amen, amen.